Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. So tonight we we start a a new journey, a new siren. Just before we we sang the last words, I was like, "Yo, Chiro, please repeat again. Please repeat again." So, try to catch my breath. All right, so today we start a new series from the book of 1 Samuel. And before we start, I wanted to ask who's read the book of Samuel in the last year? Where are those chocolates? If <laughs> who's in the last year, okay? Who's read it in the last 2 years? Last 2. Years. All right, all right. So, so we hope that in the evening service, we will either be introducing you to a new book or we will be reminding you of the gold that fills this book. In this book there are familiar characters that you might be familiar with like Samuel the prophet, like David and Saul the king. There are stories that we're familiar with as well. For example, the story of the ark and the story of David and Goliath. Now interestingly, the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel are actually one book. The reason why we have them as two books is something called scroll length. They were so long that they made them into two. Well, the book is so long that when they were drafting the Greek Septuagint, they separated it into two books. Now, if I had to ask you who do you think wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, you'd probably say Samuel. But we don't know for sure who wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, but we do know he contributed a lot to it. In fact, he contributed most of it headed to chapter 25 when he passes away. So then, why are the why are the books called the book of Samuel? Well, the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel are called the book of Samuel because they describe his great ministry and the legacy of that ministry. Now if you are familiar, the book of Samuel follows after the book of Ruth and the book of Ruth follows after the book of Judges. The book of Judges was a point in time where the nation's heart was filled with sin. The book of Judges is a clear display of where the nation Israel was in their relationship with God. If you think in your Old Testament history, you'll remember that from Egypt to Canaan, God calls for the nation Israel to have faith in him. But how did God expect to see this faith of the nation Israel? He expected to see this faith displayed in their obeying his commands. So throughout the nation's journey, we could use their obedience as a litmus test or a litmus test of their faith in God. But we know from the book of Numbers all the way to the book of Judges, the nation Israel often failed the test. So God would rescue the nation Israel from slavery in Egypt. He would lead them through the wilderness. He would lead them to the promised land, but before they got to the promised land, they would wander as I've just said in the wilderness, and there he would make a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. 
at Mount Sinai, he would give the nation Israel his law before they would enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. But we learn from Judges that the state of the nation Israel or the state of God's people was a state of moral decay. What defined the Israelites was moral chaos and their failure to obey God in keeping his commands. If you remember from the book of Judges, it ends with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The people of Israel rejected God as their king, and they had no earthly king who would lead them to follow the ways of God. So what do people do? Everyone lived out their own truth. Have you heard that phrase before? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what was the result? The nation, the people of God, looked more like the world than they looked like God's people whom he had set aside. And it's from there that we land at 1 Samuel chapter 1. So if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and tonight we'll read all the way to verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1. To verse 20. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephratite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Verse 4. On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it, was, and so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the, on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She wept, she wept, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved, her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. 
And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Verse 15. But, Anna, but Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine or strong drink, but I have been pouring up my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant a worthless woman. For all, for all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then she rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Let's pray together. And so God, tonight... We do come before you asking that you would help us as we come to this passage. As we read your word, we do understand that it is your spirit who illuminates our hearts to understand the mysteries of your word. And so, God, we pray that you would lead this time, that God, I would only be a conduit that is used by you, and I pray that your people would receive these words as words coming indeed from you. Lord, we pray that if there's any error that would leave my lips, that, Lord, you would so keep it from coming out. Lord, restrain my lips from saying anything that is contrary from your truth. Lord, I pray that the words of my lips would be that which you have prepared in my heart to speak to your people. And so, God, I pray that this message, Lord, would be a message in season for those whom you have gathered here. And that, Lord, you would soften their hearts, Lord, enough to, to, to hear your word and to respond by faith and obedience. So we pray that you bless this time of the preaching and the receiving of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I'd like us to consider in this passage here tonight is an introduction to the family. We're introduced to a man who, who would father Samuel, who God would use greatly in establishing the kingdom of Israel. Elkanah was actually not from the tribe of Ephraim, though he's, he's introduced as one who's from the country of Ephraim. He is only one who lived in the territory of the Ephratites. It is said that he was actually a Levite, and you'll immediately notice that he was married to two wives. A comment. This is not a proof text to polygamy. Don't leave here tonight, gents, looking to double up. For double trouble. This is not a passage that gives way to Istembu. No. The author is simply stating to us the condition of Samuel's family. He simply stating to us what how what is the setup in, in Samuel's family before he was born. You will note that the biblical authors throughout Scripture never commend polygamists in the Old Testament. Indeed, what they do is they show us how destructive their sexual perversions actually proved to be. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 is clear. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This was God's design for marriage. This was God's design for marriage established at creation. One 
now we have to insert natural man, one natural woman in a monogamous commitment. This is both commanded and commended by God throughout all of Scripture. Now that we've got that out the way, let's go back to verse 3. They were a family that worshipped. Look at verse 3. It says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Elkanah would travel to Shiloh year by year to worship God. He was a pious man. He was a man of devotion. He was a man of consistency. He led his family to the worship of God. And he would ensure that everyone had a sacrifice to give to God. One for you, one for you, two for you. Fathers, take note. You are to lead your families in the worship of God. You are to lead from the front. Your responsibility is the discipleship of your family. Take that task seriously. For it is is for this that God will judge you. Aspiring fathers, desire now to be a father that will lead your children in the ways and in the instructions of the Lord. Elkanah was a man who led his family in worship. But it's, it's easy for us to miss what was the setup in which he was leading his family in worship. The scene around Elkanah's family was not a great one. People were living for themselves. There was political and religious chaos that ruled the land. Devotion to God was scarce. It was at a low point in Israel. It was easier for Khan and his family to give up on God, looking around them and seeing the sin that dominated the land. They also had a reason to give up on God because there was actually conflict and depression in their own house. They had many reasons that they could give up on God, but they didn't. We see Elkanah year by year gathering his family to worship God. What a testimony. Where will you be when Christianity is under threat in South Africa? Where will you be when Christianity is under threat in the world? Where will you be when the reading of the scriptures, when the sharing of the scriptures, when the attending of the local gathering on a Sunday is rare? Tonight, as you are here living and breathing the air that God has given you, the question that I have for you is, are you living to do what is right in your own eyes? Or are you looking to intentionally live a life governed by God, governed by deep devotion and direction of God? I pray that the letter is true of you. What we see in this story is their devotion to God did not exempt them from affliction. Notice the second thing about this family. They were wounded. They were a wounded and hurting family. Consider verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
So it went on year by year. As often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. We are told in verse 4 that Elkanah favors Hannah. We are told in verse 5 that the Lord closed her womb. We are told in verse 6 to verse 7 that Penina would provoke Hannah and irritate her year by year because the Lord had closed her womb. What a low blow. Talk about kicking the dog when it's down. Penina would basically say to Hannah, I know that our husband loves you more than me, but I have children. (laughs) I have children, so what are you going to worship God for at Shiloh? What are you going to give thanks to God for at Shiloh? For I'm the one that he has blessed with children. Things were bad. Things were so bad that Hannah wasn't eating. You probably can testify to this. You've probably heard somebody coming up to you when things were difficult, and they come and they ask you the question, hey, I've noticed that you're losing weight. Is everything okay? You see, they ask that question because generally they understand that people don't eat or they don't eat well when they are sick or when they are deeply grieved or deeply moved by some sort of affliction. The pains of our affliction take away our appetite and, re- and replace our appetite with the flooding of tears from sorrow. Hannah wept. She did not eat. Her heart bled over the fact that she can't bear any children. See, we can learn from this chapter and the next that Hannah knew in her theology that her not having children was not something that she could change by simply changing her lifestyle. Her not having children was not something she could change by changing her diet or maybe going to see a specialist. You see, Hannah not having children wasn't a result of bad luck. It wasn't chance. It wasn't her husband's fault. And most importantly, it wasn't her fault. The scriptures are clear. God closed her womb. It wasn't in God's wise counsel and will for her to have children at that time. But friends, though she knew this, it was still hard. It still hurt. She still experienced the pain and disappointment of deep desire not met. Friends, this is, a, this is a difficulty that is more common among us than we know. We praise the Lord and we are filled with joy when we get married. We praise the Lord and we are looking forward to enjoying a year of man. I'm going to get to know my wife and she's going to get to know me. And after that year has passed, we then say, okay, now that we've gotten to know each other, we can now introduce children into our marriage. And then we are introduced with the reality that it is not as mechanical as we think. Having children is not a simple equation of the sum of the birds and the bees. Truth is, we often don't know the difficulty that faces a a couple that struggles to have children. 
In fact, many times the couple will be met with constant questioning of, hey, when are you guys planning to have children? (laughs) As if they haven't tried. Alistair Begg says, Job's friends are always lurking in the corners to remind you that the reason why God isn't answering your, your prayers is your fault. Well, these, though they may be true, are not helpful. And sadly, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, was no different. In fact, in this case, Elkanah was not very helpful. You see, though I've introduced Elkanah to you as this pious man, as this devoted man, he fueled the fire of despair in his home. Elkanah gives a double portion for the offering to Hannah, stirring the anger in Penina's heart. But then also listen to his response to her loss of appetite and tears. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Sadly, he missed it. He missed an opportunity to encourage his wife. He made it about him. Why are you you depressed? Why are you so distressed? You have me. (laughs) It's true, but not helpful. And so many times we can also testify that when we face difficulty, when we are going through affliction, we will find people who add to the flame of our woes instead of helping us. They somehow find a way to make your heart ache about them. So maybe you are here tonight and you are experiencing, or maybe you have experienced hurt. The hurt of praying for something that God hasn't answered. Maybe you are here and you are praying for a job or or, or maybe you are praying for your academics to turn around or, or, or maybe you are praying for a spouse or maybe you are praying for the salvation of your parents or maybe you are praying for the salvation of your children or, or maybe you are praying for the recovery of a loved one or, or, or whatever it is that is causing you affliction, that is causing you anxiety, that is causing you disappointment. The question tonight is how can we, in fact, how must we respond to all of this? Well, consider Hannah's response. She was a woman gripped in faith. She was a, room, uh, she was a woman gripped by faith in God. First thing is, she cries out to God. Consider verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my afflict look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head and she continued praying before the Lord and Eli observed her mouth two things we can observe here is she wept deeply and she prayed there was nowhere that she could go 
There was no one to whom she could go to. She could only turn to God. And so therefore, she breaks down before him. She comes before God broken and vulnerable because she has an understanding that she comes broken and vulnerable before the Lord Sabaoth. This was what you would describe today as an ugly cry. Hannah was not concerned about her makeup. Hannah was not trying to look like she's got it all together. Hannah was not trying to look composed. In fact, she just went and she wept. She wasn't worried about who was watching her because we read in the passage that Eli was there. Eli was watching her, but it didn't matter to her. She just went before her God and she wept. Friends, it didn't matter if she was reserved or if she was charismatic in her expression or personality. All she knew was she needs to take her broken heart before her God, knowing that a broken and a contrite heart, he won't turn away. And so she goes to her God and she weeps. And it says she wept bitterly. But then we also see in verse 11 that Hannah makes a vow to God and she says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now we need to be careful here. We mustn't be mistaken that Hannah was negotiating with God. Lord, I promise, because I know it's exam season, Lord, I promise that, that if I pass my exams, I will be at every Bible study, I will attend every youth meeting, I will not only go to church, but I will clean all the chairs at church, and in fact, I'll even paint the walls. She was not buttering with God. But instead, what we get here is we get a glimpse of Hannah's heart. We get a glimpse of Hannah's heart behind the desire for a son. Spurgeon paints it this way. He says, her heart longs not to see her boy at home, his father's daily pride, her hourly comfort, but to see him serving as a Levite in the house of the Lord. She thus proved that she had learned self-denial. For Hannah, it wasn't just about adding a son to her home. It wasn't about that cute face as he falls asleep. Oh, Malachi. (laughs) She wanted to obey God in being fruitful and multiplying. She wanted to contribute to kingdom ministry through the fruit of her own womb, knowing that as a Levite, he would be dedicated to the service of God. Secondly about Hannah, We see that she was misunderstood. She was misunderstood. Consider verse 13. It says, Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Verse 15. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. (laughs) She gets no comfort even from the priest at the outset. This tells us of, again, the state of the nation. The the priest assumed that Hannah was one of the many drunks who would walk through the doors of the church. 
We read that Hannah prayed in her heart and she was weeping and only her lips were moving and the priest observing this concludes, oh man, another one of those, she must be drunk. I must confess, when I read this, I was deeply convicted. I was deeply convicted to think how often do we see people come through those doors. They come through those doors broken. They are still raw, but they're seeking Christ. But we write them off as one of those crazy ones. Or we write them off as, ah, they're just one of those. Or maybe we write them off because we have been so burnt by people like this or people like that that we automatically place people who walk through those doors in the same box as every one of them. Friends, the reality is people are dying out there in their sins. There will be people who will be hurting, who will walk through those doors. They won't be polished. They won't be well-versed in Christianese. They will have no idea of, of the phraseology of penal substitutionary atonement. But they will know that Jesus died for me on the cross. But they will come because they believe that only God can help them. This was a reminder to me that those people, when they walk through those doors, have come to the right place. We are to help them. We are to point them to Christ. We are to disciple them to Christ-likeness. So if you, the person who has been misunderstood by the church, if you are a person who was once hurting and, and you stepped into the local body and you were hurt and you were thinking of giving up on the church and giving up on God, I want you to consider Hannah's response again. Hannah responds to being misunderstood by saying, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as, as a worthless woman, but all along I have been speaking out of my great vexation and anxiety. She graciously corrects the priest's error. She wouldn't allow his fault to drive her away from the only person who could help her, that was Jesus Christ. Look at the priest's response in verse 17. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Eli sees he was wrong and wishes her well. Two things. As elders, we will sometimes get it wrong. But we must be willing to accept and we must be willing to allow God to work through us to minister to the same hurting person that we misunderstood. Number two, don't allow the errors of people in the church to be the reason why you walk away from God. You need him. 
He uses His church to care for and to grow you. You are at the right place here tonight. Come to God with your every trouble. Cast your burdens to Jesus. Take His yoke, which is light. Allow the members of the local church to care for you. Allow the pastors to shepherd you as God uses them. Allow the Lord by his grace to allow you to forgive. And finally, we notice that she is restored and answered by God, verse 18. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. Did you pick that up? She wipes her tears, and her countenance is restored before. Her prayer was answered. She left Shiloh encouraged to trust and wait. Friends, that is the whole Christian life. Trust and wait. As we come to the gathering, we will be encouraged to continue trusting and waiting. We will expose you to the character and the ways of God as revealed in the scriptures to encourage you to trust and wait. Consider Psalm 27 verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But how? How should you wait, you might ask? Consider verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Hannah is still at Shiloh. She arrived at Shiloh at the tabernacle with a hurting heart and a downcast spirit. But it was fellowship with God that renewed her soul. It was fellowship with God that renewed her faith. So she could worship while she waited. She could worship with the hearts that was lifted. She could worship with the joy of the Lord as her strength. She could worship with his promises as her hope. So I'm not here tonight to make any promises. In fact, I don't know if God's going to answer your current prayer with a yes. But I do want to encourage you to bring it to him anyway. Whilst you wait on him, worship him. Don't be idle. Don't allow yourself to be vulnerable to the enemy's lies. Wait in worship. Wait in service. Trust and wait. Trust God to renew your spirit from time spent with him. And like Hannah, rise up and worship the Lord Sabaoth. Worship the Lord of hosts. Then they went back to the house of Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. 
in the goodness and in the mercy of God, he blessed Hannah with a child. He answered her prayer with a yes. God gives birth to the first main character of our book, Samuel. And so I want to close with a few implications. The first one. Friends, we must come to God with the confidence that he is faithful. Listen to the words of Jay Bloom. Jay Bloom says, God is faithful. As Christians, we're saying, God, we're saying that God the Father is able to do what he has promised. That God the Son, the Word of God incarnate, is faithful and true. And that God the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will not because he cannot lie. We're declaring, when we say God is faithful, we're declaring our belief that God honors, he cherishes, he maintains, and guards the faith of those who put their trust in him by keeping his promises to them that he is true to his word. So friends, cling to that God is faithful. But not only is God faithful, but we must come to God because he is sovereign. The words used by Samuel here is, he is the Lord of hosts. As Job wrote, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. We must come to God because he cares. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He loves you with a love that is pure and steadfast. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds. And so the question is, what is a biblical response to affliction, anxiety, and disappointment? The answer is, bring it to God in prayer, even if it's prayer with tears. Worship Him whilst you wait. Wait in faith, for the Lord has heard your prayers, O believer. He will answer your prayers in the accordance to his will, which is good. So whether yes, whether no, whether wait, these all are good answers from an all-wise God. Trust and wait. Let's pray. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary. There is love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He will meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Lord, tonight we want to bring your children that are hurting. Tonight, we want to bring your children who know the bonds of affliction. We want to bring your children who have prayed prayers and they feel as though heaven's doors are closed to their prayers. My God, we bring them before your throne of grace asking for your help. We ask that you would restore their souls. We ask that you would hear their cry, O Lord, and grant to them joy in Jesus. 
May they know that they can come to you with all their troubles because you care for them. Lord, we pray for all of us as well, that as we bring our troubles to you, as we bring our requests to you, that we would trust that whatever you grant to us is right. That whatever you grant to us is good because you have granted to us in the capacity of your wisdom in accordance to your will. For others here tonight, though we may not grieve, though we may not be suffering in this season, we pray that you teach us to remember that you are the Lord of hosts. Lord, teach us to remember how you have cared for us and with that very same care, teach us to intentionally care for others. Lord, help us to point each other to Christ, who is our ever-present help in time of need. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.